Well, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. I want to say a special welcome to all of you dads who are out there tuning in. I hope that your Father's Day is off to a great start. Maybe you got a new tie, a cool pair of socks, or maybe you're one of those dads who is going to plan it this afternoon and you have a great barbecue plan. No matter what your plans are, we're glad that you have made us a part of them and thankful that you've chosen to do that. We also want to say thank you for those of you who have chosen to give generously to the mission of Calvary. We are so thankful for your gifts. And if you are tuning in and you call Calvary home, we ask that you would just kick that, click that give button so that we can, you can give your offering today as well. And thank you for supporting the mission and ministry of this place. It's because of those gifts and your generosity that we're able to continue the mission that God has called us to in this place. So if it's been a week or two since you've been with us, I just want to say welcome back. And we're so glad that you're here. Or if this is the first time you're tuning out or tuning in, we're really glad that you are here and connecting with us today. We're in the middle of a series we've called Summer in the Psalms, where we are walking through a different psalm each week and kind of looking at how the truth of that psalm applies to our lives today in 2021. And so this week, we are going to look at Psalm 138. So if you're somebody who likes to follow along, either in your Bible or on your phone, you can go ahead and open that up. You're going to open in your paper Bible, just open that about to the middle, and then find big number 138, and you'll be in the right place. And we'll be reading that entire psalm in just a little bit. This is a psalm of thanksgiving, and a psalm that where we get to pause and say thanks to God for all he is. But before we get too far down the road into this psalm this morning, I want us to step back and I want to provide a little bit of context for our study of the Psalms this year, for all of the Psalms that we're going to walk through. And so one of the things that I am very thankful for in my life is my time at Luther Seminary. I met some incredibly brilliant and talented and gifted people there. One of those was a professor by the name of Rolf Jacobson. Now, Rolf has an incredible story of faith and God working in his life, and he brings a unique perspective to faith and life. Rolf is a childhood cancer survivor, but that cancer took both of his legs. And so here's a guy in his probably late 40s in a wheelchair who's been there since he was 17. And so when I think about the Psalms of Lament, like we talked about last week, Rolf taught us a lot about what it means to lament. And he knew because he's been there firsthand. But one of the things that stuck out to me that Rolf said in class one day was, the Psalms are not meant to be studied. They're meant to be read. The Psalms are less about figuring out all the best answers to tricky questions and more about living out life with other broken people in the midst of a broken world and in relationship with a God of loving faithfulness. Did you catch that? The Psalms teach us how to live in relationship with other broken people in a broken world and most importantly, in a relationship with a God of loving faithfulness. The core of what he was getting at is the Psalms are showing us what it means to live every day of our lives in relationship with God. This means the good days, the bad days, the mundane days, the days when we feel really close to other people or really close to God. 
And it means the days when we feel really distant or all alone. The truth of the Psalms is that that God never changes. And so as we put these two different Psalms, for those of you who were with us last week, we talked about a Psalm of lament. And this week we talk about a Psalm of thanks. And so as we put those two Psalms together, what I believe we see are two different episodes of our life. You see, in the first episode, it looks a little bit like this. Life's going along, everything's good. We have a trial or a heartache, we dip down, and then we come out of it. But while we're down here, my number two major in college was art, if you can't tell. But while we're down here, we're in this pit, and we're lamenting. We're, we're hurting. We're upset that God, that things have happened in our life that feel like maybe God hasn't been faithful to his promises. But what the lament psalm teach us, teaches us is that God is faithful to his promises. And that even in this pit, I can still cry out. I can still claim the promises of God. In the midst of my pain and my hurt, I hold on to a hope that enables me to begin to walk my way out to where in episode two, I'm in this psalm of thanks. You see, these two are linked, and you'll notice even as we read Psalm 138 this morning, that in lament, there is thanks and hope. And in thanks, there is still a little touch of lament and a little concern of the pain that we might have. But episode one has ended. And as we read Psalm 138, we're in episode two, we're in thanks. And the tone of that is going to be a little bit different. So we're, today we're looking at what it looks like to live life in a relationship with God in episode two. What I hope you see in all of this and the other Psalms we're going to explore is raw events of life and how we maintain a relationship with Jesus as we walk this journey of faith, no matter what happens, through the ups and downs of our entire life. Because the reality is, our lives don't look like one up and down. It looks a lot more like this. We walk, and we go down, and we stay down for a while, and we come up, and maybe we're up for a little bit, and we go down, and we're down, and then we're up for a long time. And so we see this ebb and flow of life. And I think that's the reality of what we see in the Psalms is these ups and downs, these times of praise, these times of thanksgiving, and these times of real trial and real hurt. The Psalms force us out of an abstract faith and into a real experience of joy, of pain, of sorrow, of thanksgiving, of anger and praise. So what I hope you take home with you today is this. Our lives of gratitude are the fruit of a relationship with Jesus. When we're here, our lives of gratitude up here are a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. And that relationship may be formed more in this pit than it is on this mountaintop experience. Let's take a look at what I mean. Psalm 138 says this, 
I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of heaven shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I want to come back to this quote from Martin Luther we talked about last week, that hope despairs and despair hopes. Last week, we looked at the second half of this line in depth. Despair hopes that even when we're in the pit of lament, in the deepest pain, in the sharpest hurt, there's a hope that God's going to show up, that there's a brighter future. There's a hope because of who Jesus is. But I think as you read Psalm 138, or as you listen to it read, you hear the despair in the hope. You hear David talk about, God, I'm still having some stuff. There's still some enemies around. And I think that's so real to life, right? Like nothing is, or rarely is everything perfect or everything falling apart. But there's some mix of all of that in our life. But you do hear in the first words of these Psalms, David is in a different place. He's praising God. He's crying out to God, giving thanks to God for his character for what God has done for David. And that's actually a common characteristic of the Psalms of thanks. They refer back to a specific crisis and thank God for showing up and acting on the behalf of the psalmist in that crisis. And so as we look at this and we think about that bottom line, that our lives of gratitude are the fruit of a relationship with Jesus, what is David thankful for? First, David is thankful for God's steadfast love. Now, the Hebrew word here, and we're going to talk a little bit about Hebrew this week, this morning, because I think it really matters. The Hebrew word is hesed. Now, that word has zero English equivalent. It's a word that occurs over 240 times in the New Testament. And I think as we grow in our relationship with God and as followers of Jesus, it's one of those words we need to be familiar with. You might know the word agape, which is the Greek word for love, the love of God for us in the New Testament. Hesed is the Hebrew equivalent of that. We combine words to give it power. Some of the possible meanings are love, faithfulness, kindness, loyalty. It's a way of describing God's mercy towards us or his commitment to us. And so in order to kind of get to the richness of this word, this Hebrew word that is so deep, we combine those things. 
So we say his steadfast love or his faithful love or his loving kindness towards us. And so we pair those things together to strengthen the way God feels about his creation. But Hesed is the fundamental assumption of the psalmist the entire way through the Psalms. This term applies to different types of Psalms and is used in every different type of Psalm. It's used in the Lament Psalms when life's falling apart. It's used in the Thanksgiving Psalms, and we'll see it today. It's used in the Praise Psalms. And there's a different type of song called the imprecatory psalms that Zach's going to talk about next week. And that's when you're angry about something. And I'll let him define that from this point on. But this term is in all of those. And this term forms the basis of the covenant relationship that God has with his people. Now that covenant, we often think of Abraham. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and said, I am going to be your God. You will be my people. Your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. And we think about that being God's covenant. But that's not the only time God declared a covenant with his people. He actually makes this powerful covenant where he describes his own nature and the way that he wants to interact with the Israelites, the ones he's covenanted with. And we see this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 6 through 7. And he's speaking to Moses or appearing to Moses as Moses hides in a rock. And it says this, The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. You see, this is just one of the expressions that God has that he wants to give unfailing love to his kids. And this is one of those, if you know what's happened beforehand, it adds even more depth. So the Israelites are slaves in Egypt, right? God sends Moses to lead them out of Egypt. So the Israelites come out of Egypt. Pharaoh comes after them. He chases them to the Red Sea. God parts the water and immediately dries the land. So you can imagine two large bodies of walls of water as you walk through this area, and there are like fish swimming in there. I have all kinds of cool images in my head about what this really looks like. But the ground is dry. They're not sinking in mud. They're walking across. And as they get across, they walk into the desert, and they walk up to Mount Sinai, where Moses will receive the Ten Commandments, and he'll receive instruction about how to build the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is just a church word for a tent church, right? So he's going to, they're going to be in the wilderness for a while. They'll be traveling. God wants a place to come and dwell among them. And so he gives them instructions about how to build this tent where his presence will be with the Israelite people. But it takes too long for Moses to come back down the mountain, right? So the Israelites get tired of waiting. And so they make a golden calf. Now, if you're a parent you totally get this. If, you, if you're a parent and you have a toddler, you get this story, right? Because your toddler says to you, mom, dad, can I get some help? And you say, hold on, I'm finishing something. I'll be right there. 
And it's like three seconds before you're right there. But in those three seconds, you walk in and the entire box of Cheerios is now over the counter. The milk has overflowed the bowl. It is pouring down the front of the cabinets into the inside of the cabinets. It's all over the floor. And the dog is licking up whatever he can get off the floor, right? We're impatient. It's our nature to be impatient. But this is exactly what the Israelites do. Moses, we don't know if you're coming back. It took too long to get down. So they melt down all the gold and make a golden calf to worship because God had just led them through the Red Sea. Don't don't forget that part. But it took too long. And you see, God then speaks these words to Moses. Unfailing love and kindness. I will forgive their sins for a thousand generations. You see, once God is in a relationship, he's in it for the long haul. He's willing to do anything it takes to maintain it. He forgives sin. He loves us unconditionally. He gives us second, third, and 100th chances. He never asks for perfection. He doesn't ask for rituals or knowledge. He wants relationship. And so that steadfast love that God offers is available to all who want it. In Psalm 107, 35, the psalmist paints a beautiful picture of the the love of God, this unconditional hesed of God being like a fountain flowing in the desert where everything is so dry, but as God's love comes in and his unfaithful love fills, there are pools of water. That imagery immediately makes me think of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. When Jesus says to her in John 4, 14, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You see, the steadfast love of God, the hesed of God is available to all who believe, to kings like David, to people in power, but it's also available to the hungry. It's available to the imprisoned. It's available to those who feel like they're pushed aside or pushed down or pushed to the outside of society. It's available to the sick and the healthy. It's available to the lowly sinner and the one who thinks they're upright before God. God's steadfast love is available to all. And the best part about this is that this loving kindness, this hesed of God is just as real, just as true in our lives in the pit as it is on the mountaintop. The hesed of God never changes. We might not feel it as much down here, but it doesn't make it any less true. That's what David is first thankful for. And the second thing that David is thankful for is God's faithfulness. David cries out in thanksgiving from the steadfast love of God and God's actions that prove his love is true. 
You see, it's one thing for God to show up to Moses and say, I will love the people. I will be compassionate and merciful and I'll forgive their sins, but it's a whole different thing when he actually does it. And what David has experienced as he looks back on this is he says, on the day I called, you answered me. He's seen God do and act on what he said he would do. And for us, the ultimate act of God's loving kindness is when he sends Jesus. It's in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from the grave that our sins are paid for, that we receive forgiveness that never fades, that never goes away. Our relationship with God is restored and death is defeated the minute Jesus walks out of that tomb. And so if we've received that, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have nothing to fear. And we know that God's steadfast love is all over us. When have you seen God's steadfast love in your life? When have you felt his loving kindness? Are there moments that come to mind? Moments when God showed up and did what only God could do? Provided a new job? Money when you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills? A friend walking in in the middle of crisis to comfort and to love you? I could tell you story on story of the things that I think have been God's loving kindness in my life but maybe one of the most incredible ones was when I was diagnosed with cancer. Josiah was 10 months old. We had one son and the doctor said, you need to understand that when you go through this chemo and this radiation, there's a good chance that you and your wife will no longer be able to have kids. And they said, would you like us to do anything to make that happen in the future? There were medical procedures and we said, no, we're going to trust God on this. We're going to trust that God's going to show up and do what God can do. And if he doesn't, we're going to trust that God's plan for us was that we'd have one kid. And we'll be so thankful for that kid. But it was about 18 months later, Corey walked in and I was sitting in Josiah's bedroom, which was also like our office at that time. And she said, hey, I'm late. I said, well, then you better hurry up and get out the door. I don't know what you're telling me you're late for. And she's like, no, I'm late. And I was like, wait, that's not supposed to happen. And it's in that moment that she realized God had a plan and that we get to be Ethan's parents because God showed up in his loving kindness with a gift that we never imagined we'd have. And we're thankful we do. The God of steadfast love is true to his promises. He promises to show up when he's called. And when he does, what will our reaction be? For David, his response to God's action is thanks. He cries out in praise. He tells everyone what God has done. Back to that Hebrew I told you we were going to talk a little bit about. There is no Hebrew word that translates thanks. 
But the word that is actually used is best translated to testify, to confess, and to make known. So what does David do when God shows up? David's response to God's action in his life is to tell others, to go and tell everybody. He sings his praises. Listen to Psalm 138. I give thanks, O Lord, for my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. He's not quiet about it. He says, I want to make all the other kings on earth know that you are the one true God and that they will all bow to you. It sounds a little bit like Jesus' words to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will go and tell people what I've done of all the great things of my life, this is Jesus speaking, of the life I lived, of the miracles I performed, of the fact I walked out of the grave. Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says this, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We are, are God's ambassadors. Our response to God's loving kindness, our response to a relationship with Jesus is a life lived in gratitude and that gratitude is to go and tell others about who Jesus is and what he's done. Who have you shared what God's been doing in your life with? Have you paused long enough? Have we paused long enough to actually see where God's at work? The second thing David says is that he will trust. His second response is to trust. Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8 says this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, your steadfast love. O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. David knows this reality. He knows that his life has not seen its last pit. That there will be more ups and downs and ups and downs to come. And yet he knows that in each one of those, he's made a promise to trust God. When the next trial comes, God, my trust and my faith in you won't fail. He trusts in God's promise and his unfailing love, not only for the past trial, but for the ones yet to come. And he trusts in God's unfailing love in the trial he's in the middle of. 
That sounds a little bit like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, I am certain that God who began a good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. You see, we're going to have these trials. We're going to have these ups and downs in life. And yet God is going to be faithful to his promise. And Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, all God's work and all God's promises will be complete and will be filled, fulfilled. And God will do what only God can do in that moment. We need to stop and praise God for his specific actions in our lives. And we need to live lives of gratitude back to God by telling others about how God has been faithful and loving and gracious and merciful to us and by trusting that he will do it over and over again in our lives. God's steadfast love is what produces this gratitude. It is his spirit inside of us that works this out. But if we're pursuing this relationship with Jesus, like David in Psalm 138, our lives will be marked with gratitude because gratitude is the fruit of a relationship with Jesus. Last week, I introduced you to this book, Deeper Places by Matthew Jacoby. And I want to close by reading his concluding remarks. He says in the final pages, as he encourages us to read the Psalms, my advice for you is to spend less time trying to grasp God intellectually and more time allowing yourself to be grasped by God. The Psalms were written by people who found out that they could not grasp God. Many Psalms portray the struggle it took for them in many cases to relinquish objective understanding in order to rest in trust. Once they gave up trying to grasp God, they were in a position to be grasped by God. From this experience came a deeper relational understanding that gave them rest and joy, often in spite of their circumstances. Let me reread those first two sentences because I don't want you to miss this. My advice for you is to spend less time trying to grasp God intellectually and more time allowing yourself to be grasped by God. The Psalms were written by people who found out that they could not grasp God. God is so much bigger than we are. His promises are so much greater than we can imagine. His steadfast love is richer and deeper than we could ever dream. And as we begin to allow that to work in our lives, we'll receive blessings we never imagined. So even in the thanks, there's a warning about the despair that's coming. But that despair hopes, and that hope despairs. So church, my challenge for you this week is pretty simple. I want to encourage each one of us to find some time to pause and simply reflect on the ways that God has shown us, shown you as individuals, shown me as an individual, his loving kindness to you, 
to your family, to your friends. I'd encourage you, maybe even start writing them down on a list so that when you get into this pit, you have a list written down that reminds you of the ways you've experienced God's loving kindness. And once you have that list, what stories, what ways of God acting in your life do you need to share? Do you need to tell coworkers and neighbors and friends and family about so that they could come to experience the steadfast love of Jesus? Because that's our main work is to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. Would you pray with me? God, when we stop and pause and think about your unfailing love to us, God, I pray that each person here is overwhelmed by the amount of love they feel by the actions that they've seen, where you didn't just say you'd do something, but you actually did it in their life. And God, I pray that that would cause each of us to stop in our tracks and to fall deeper in love with you, to believe and be, have our faith renewed and strengthened again because of your unfailing, unconditional love. And then God, give us the courage. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom to know who needs to hear those stories so that their life could be eternally changed. So that they could experience the steadfast love that you give. God, use us as your ambassadors for your glory to expand your kingdom God, we pray all this in Jesus' name, who we are eternally thankful for. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen.